off in the, the book of John this morning, John chapter 1. And we're going to go back to our outline last week. You should have a copy of that already with the, the lines filled in. And then we're going to do a little bit of the, we're going to finish up what we talked about last week as well. <clears throat> but John chapter 1, very familiar passage to some of you. I'm just going to read a, a few verses out of it. Starting in verse 1, it is the, the Christmas season. They call it the Advent season, the season of Advent. Jesus Christ's first coming. There is going to be a second Advent, meaning the second coming. <clears throat> I've mentioned to you this before, that in the Old Testament, there were over 300 prophecies of Jesus Christ coming the first time. And in the Old and New Testament, there are twice as many, almost a thousand prophecies stating that he'll come back the second time. So if he came the first time, we know that he will return the second time. Amen? The king of glory to establish his kingdom. But in chapter 1 of John, John does a very good, uh, well, he does very good research, research and uh, very, very good how he puts this together. It's different than the, what they call the synoptic gospels. The synoptic gospels mean that they all sound and look the same almost, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John is, is a, a book all by itself, yet it tells the story of Jesus. In the other Gospels, there are many miracles that they call. John calls them signs. He only has seven of them. And when he talks about these signs and wonders, he's, he's basically trying to show that Jesus Christ is God. He shows that in, this first, in the first creation account. In the very beginning, he starts in the beginning. He goes straight to the beginning of Genesis. And so what, what John is trying to do is show who Jesus Christ is, is that Jesus Christ is God. And in, in the very first miracle or the very first sign that he does, he changes and turns water into wine. And it's interesting because if you don't catch that nuance in what he's trying to do, what Jesus did, he says, bring me some water. And they brought the water, they filled it in a pitcher, and from the pitcher he pours it into this glass. And the bridegroom takes a drink of this wine, he says, this is some very good wine. Most people bring out the good wine first and get everybody drunk, then they bring out the cheap wine. But you did yours the other way around. And if you don't, if you don't understand how the process of winemaking is, it, it takes years to ferment to a good wine. Uh, weeks, months, or whatever the case may be. And the, the, the point that John, I believe, is trying to make is this. When God said, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And most people say, do you believe that God really created the heavens and the earth in seven days? In seven literal days? And I say, no, of course not. The Bible says he did it in six and took one day off. <laughs> he did it in six. And if the Bible says that he did it in six days, there was sunrise and there was sunset, a 24-hour period, uh, that, then what, what we have to understand is that, yes, he can do that. If Jesus Christ could take a, just regular water and pour it into a glass and make it into a wine that is fermented, uh, had been fermented for years in, in just a matter of seconds, what do you think he can do in a 24-hour period? Think about that. And so what John is trying to show is that Jesus Christ is God. As a matter of fact, the very first verse even proclaims that from the very beginning. And so he's writing to the Jews. He's writing to those that understand the law. He says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He's talking about John the Baptist. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. He came to his own people, but his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, 
nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Father in heaven, thank you once again for giving us this portion of scripture that we can reflect on as we dive into the book of Ephesians and carry on with our our message, the message you had given us, that we are now new creations. We are to walk in the newness of life. We are not spiritual schizophrenics with these different natures. We are one nature, one man, one creation, one person in Christ Jesus. And so I thank you, Father, for leading us to this point, that those that you came to, they received you. Those that are yours, they received you. And they accepted who you are because of who you are. And yet, those that still look at you and not have changed, Father, they haven't received you. And Lord, I know that we can do all that we can to try to convince and to talk and to, and to shake things up. But Father, ultimately, it is a lifestyle change, a transformation that happens from within. And I pray that this morning we can grasp that and start to make those changes that you have created in us to do. So, Lord, I just thank you. I pray for those that are not able to be here this morning. Father, I lift them up to you. Thank you for the miracle that you're doing in Ralph's life and just the change that's taking place in his life. I thank you for Joan and her faithfulness and her love for you and for your church. We continue to pray for Sister Terry, and I pray for... Uh, Lucy and, and Wilbur, Lord, and, and I lift them up to you, and, and also for Lucy and, and Manny as well. But, Father, a special blessing and a petition on my, my cousin Wilbur, and, and I pray, God, you just bless him today and, and help him to see who you are in spite of all that's going on in his life. Lord, there are many prayer, prayer petitions in this time, and the family, the Guterres family, we lift them up to you today as they celebrate and they mourn the loss of their son and celebrate his life this afternoon. Father, just lead us into being able to be ministers and change agents wherever we go. Thank you, God, for giving us direction. Thank you for giving us love. Thank you for your compassion and your understanding in our life, we pray. In Jesus' name. And all say, Amen. Amen. All right. I'm on the wrong page. Anyways, uh, Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to be reading out of verses 20 through 24. And uh, in, in, in these portions of Scripture, this portion of Scripture, it, this is somewhat of what we talked about last week. Let me just go back to verse 17, first of all, and just kind of touch on the outline that you have before. It's already filled out. We talked about the walking of the old self. The old self or the old life is a futile thinking. Futile thinking means pointless thinking, fruitless thinking, useless thinking, according to the kingdom of God. Our, our, our old way of thinking does not fit within the kingdom of God. It doesn't fit within his economy. Trying to bring outside sources, outside ideas, outside uh, understanding of what needs to take place in the kingdom of God in his church does not work. And what happens is when people do not have this new nature, this new man, this transformation, this change, of course, everything's going to be different. As a matter of fact, Paul says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds, in their fruitlessness, in their pointlessness, in their uselessness of their thinking. Oh, there are a lot of people that have all kinds of ideas. And I've talked to people, and you know, I'm about to start saying this. I haven't really been very confrontational in this area. But I hear people all the time say, you know, well, I think that, you know, God wants, or I believe that God wants, or I feel that what God is saying, that I should just do that. And my response from this point forward is going to be is, you know what, I don't care. what I'm going to say this as lovingly and as compassionately as possible, but I don't care what you feel or think. Our statements all, always ought to start, our sentences always ought to start when we're talking about the Word of God. Well, the Bible says, according to the Word of God, God said, I don't think you want my opinion. You don't want my understanding or the way I feel. You don't want any of that. You want God's word. I want God's word. And if you understand God's word, God's word will show you what needs to take place. You don't need my, my fruitful thinking, my futile thinking. You don't need my fruitless thinking. You don't need useless thinking. What you need is God's word. Because when God's word is spoken and read and, and looked at and seen, it changes your life. Especially 
if you're now walking in the new self. As a matter of fact, in Romans chapter 1, uh, let's turn there as well. Let's turn to Romans chapter 1. I didn't really get a chance to dive into it as much as I wanted to, but in, in Romans chapter 1, uh, Paul, Paul is talking to the people in Rome, and he, he's telling them, he says, look, here's, here's what you need to understand, and I'm going to read from verse 18 and on. He says, here's what you need to understand, Paul says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. They know the truth, but they suppress it. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. Many people ask me, what about the people that have never heard the gospel? What about those that are living in these remote areas where the gospel has not been preached or they have no way of getting the Bible? The Bible tells us that they have seen his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so they are without What's that say? Excuse. There is no excuse. Now, beloved, I don't know how that happens. And I don't know how God's going to hold man accountable that that has not heard the gospel message from Billy Graham or whoever the case may be. Rick Rick Warren or or, um, Greg Laurie or any of these guys or people from the past. I don't know how God's going to hold people accountable. But God says they're without excuse. They can see God. They know God. Here's what happens. They've suppressed the truth for all. In verse 21, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became, what's that word? Futile in their thinking. Worldly. There's that word. They became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Another word that we'll look at again today. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. They know God. Their futileness, their futileness, well, their futileness, I guess that's the word. Their fruitlessness is, I think I'm wanting to try to put, put two, these two words together. But their, their futile thinking, their fruitlessness, their useless thinking, their pointless thinking, their, well, what they think about God, you know, well, this is what I think God is. And they make up their own God. And they create their own gods. They fashion a God out of wood and stone and all these other things. And that's what they worship. Instead of worshiping the creator, they worship the creation. Now, here's what God does. He says, okay, you should know this. But because you don't know this, in verse 24, God does this. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are in contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with men and who were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God just gave them up to a debased mind. To do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetedness, malice. They were full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanders, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die. They do not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. This kind of throws a huge monkey wrench in the idea of, well, you know, God hates the sin, but he, but he loves the sinner. Here, God is saying, you know what? I don't like this. I hate the sin. And the unfortunate thing is that the sin is attached to the sinner. And it's the sinner that gets cast into hell along with the sin. 
And so when you look at people, when you look at the old life, a lot of these attributes of the old life, I could, I could probably hit every single one of them. If I had to take a test right now and I'd look, I'd probably hit every single one of these. Well, except maybe for some of the, well, maybe not all of them. And I'm going to stop right there before I get myself in trouble. There are many attributes that the sinful life have. And we have to be, we have to be wise in understanding that, okay, God created me as a new being. That stuff should no longer be in my life. Next week, or actually when we come back from the Christmas break, we're going to talk a little bit more about the, the life that we ought to live, the things that we should do. You know, you know we, shouldn't be, uh, we shouldn't be stealing, we should be working. We shouldn't be um, you know, talking stuff and we, we should be talking love. We, we should do things in love and not in hatred. And, and there's things that Paul points out specifically to the people in Ephesus. And it's not, just, it's not a very conclusive list. It's not just all the, the entire list, but it's part of the things that the people in Ephesus were dealing with. Here are some of the things that you need to deal with. This is a little bit more expanded list, but this doesn't cover it all. It gets us started. We have to focus on the new nature, the new man. Let's go back to, uh, uh, to our outline. Feudal thinking, this pointless thinking, this darkened thinking. Number two is ignorance of God's truth, the, the suppressing of the God's truth, this confused thinking, and, and this darkened thinking that, that is out there right now that there is no God, or God is just a, a fairy tale invented by Christians because they're afraid of the dark. I say atheism is a fairy tale invaded by atheists because they're afraid of the light that came into this world. And so they invented, well, there is no light. Forget it. You know, I don't want to see light. And darkness, darkened thinking is this ignorant thinking of God's truth and it's confused thinking. And in verse 18, it says, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. Remember, there is no excuse. Got to go back to Romans. Got to put it all together. There is no excuse. Number three, callous thinking. This is a hardened, closed heart. This is a heart that has just been wrapped in leather. Yeah, I don't want to believe that. And then once again, I don't want to believe that. Every time you, you callously and, and you harden your heart, it gets harder and it gets harder. And we said last week, it's like that calcification that gets around a broken bone and it becomes stronger than the bone itself. And what ends up happening is that by the time you know it, it's almost impossible to get in. And God just says, I'm just going to hand you over to your debased thinking, your debauched thinking. I'm handing you over to what you want to do. You're de- and that's what number four is, your depraved thinking. Depraved thinking is just this immorality, this corrupt thinking. And in verse 19b, it says, and they gave themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. See, this is the old self. This is what we used to do. This is the life that I used to live. And, and maybe you weren't totally in that lifestyle that was just laid out before us in the book of Romans. But we at some times had been greedy or slanderous, gossiping, talking, you know, just uh, cursing, yelling and, and bad words and bad jokes and, you know, things against God and against one another. And maybe at one time we were there and you might say, well, at least I wasn't, you know, I'm not a fornicator or at least I'm not sexually immoral. Well, at least, you know, at least I'm not that bad. And you know my stance between that. That's not the person that we need to compare ourselves to. Our standard is Jesus Christ, perfection, because his standard, we're all bad. All of us. This is why we need to live a Christ centered life. The walk of life, verses 20 and on, says this in Ephesians. It says, but, I like that. However, therefore, I need you to know, and there's a lot of these in the Bible. Paul always says, here's, here's the comparison. There's a comparison of things that you used to do to the things that you should do. This is what you were like. However, now, therefore, but this is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness in God of God in truth and righteousness and holiness. 
Therefore, well, we're going to stop right there. Verse 24, we'll stop at that. This new walk, walk in Christ, is opposite of the old walk. Whereas the old walk, remember, is self-centered and it's futile thinking. The, the new life is Christ-centered. The, the old life was ignorant of God's truth and darkened thinking. Uh, and now it's understand, it understands the truth. You understand it. And you may not want to do it. You may not want to, you may not like it, but you know that it's the truth. And you need to just obediently step forward and walk in that truth. Whereas in the old uh, life, morality and spiritual callousness, this shamelessness and callous thinking, we now are sensitive to sin. Last week I mentioned the reason that I sin, the reason that you sin, is because you love your sin. Now I said that here a few weeks ago. I said, oh, that's, that's disgusting. I, no, I don't. Yes, you do. Because if you hated it, you wouldn't do it. You only do the things you like. See, because sin is fun. It gives you power. It gives you this gratification. It gives you, and it's temporary. And you know in the back of your mind, and you feel like crud after it's all done. You say, oh, man, I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have been there. I shouldn't have, whatever the case may be. But the fact of the matter is, is that we love our sin. And we have to cut ourselves off. Take off that old garment, Paul is saying. Whereas the old man or the old life was a depraved in its thinking, we need to be renewed. Number one. Christ-centered thinking. Christ-centered thinking. Paul says, but, but this is not the way you learn Christ. This is not how you learned him. When Paul is talking about learned, he's talking about uh, not just, oh yeah, I learned about Jesus Christ in Sunday school. You know, No, when he's talking at this point, he's talking about how you learned about salvation and how Jesus Christ died on the cross, what he paid for, what it cost him to give you salvation. You did not learn about Jesus Christ in that manner. You learned that because of your life, the way it used to be and where you were headed, that Jesus Christ's blood covered your sin. And therefore, now I want to rejoice in that. And I want to honor him by obeying what he says it, to do. I didn't learn Jesus Christ like that to, to continue on in my sin. You, you know, people say, well, you don't expect me to change overnight. God does. I mean, how, how, how difficult is it taking off an old coat and putting on a new one? Well, but, but, but I, I can't change like that overnight. It's because you love your sin. You have to be sensitive to sin. You, you didn't learn Christ that way. That's not how you learned him. You're, 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 not, you're not to have any part of such things, of the things in the, of, of the past, the things that you used to do, the things that you used to walk in. All these associations and participations of your life, you got to get rid of them. That's not how you learned Christ. At least I hope it wasn't. Because if you've been with us for any amount of time, there needs to be change. Now, it's unfortunate, uh, I was at, you know, there's some people that, that say you don't have to change. You know, when you die, you go to heaven. Everybody goes to heaven. And, you know, because that's what God, who's, you know, which parent, which parent will send their child to hell? Well, first of all, parents can't send their kids to hell, but I can send them close to it, you know, with a good swat or a spanking, you know, I can, I, I can get them close to it, you know. <laughs> You just take me off. You, you disobeyed. I need to punish you. Well, first of all, God is our father and he can do whatever it is that he wants to do. Is he going to enjoy it? No, he hates the suffering of the wicked. He does. But he's going to let them do what they want to do. There's going to be an accountability. And if you love your children, you will discipline them. And to a point of punishment, to a point where you can just... Cause them to listen to what you're trying to say because you're trying to save their life. Amen? Chloe, so when you get punished, just know that they're trying to save your life. Now, I don't think you ever get punished. I don't, Chloe's such a nice girl. <laughs> but this is not the way you learn Christ. Is a direct reference to salvation, to be saved, and, and what Jesus did in your life, how he died on the cross for you, what he paid for. You didn't learn Christ like that. You were saved from that old way of life. Get out of it. Paul is saying in James chapter 4, this is in your outlines, 
Paul says this, or James says this, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? And there's a lot of attraction to the world. There's a lot of wanting to go back to the world. And, and there's an excuse, but well, you know, I want them to see my life. I want them to show them, I want to show them how I pray before I eat and how I, I talk about Jesus. I want to show them those things. The problem is, beloved, is that we cannot just, just to do it that way. It has to be intentional. It has to be confrontational. It has to be with truth. And many people aren't comfortable confronting friends and family. As a matter of fact, a lot of times what happens is people, what they do is they compromise. Well, maybe, you know, maybe just this one time. Maybe I'll you know, get high or maybe I'll just drink one beer. Or maybe you know, Just this one time because I want them to know that I don't want to be very confrontational. I don't want them to be, I don't want them to, you know, cut me off. You cannot do that. Bad company corrupts good character every single time. It's very rare that good character corrupts bad company. If the company is bad and you go in there, you're not going to influence them by being there. You're not. Bad character always corrupts good people the company that you keep now there is a call for some of you to go into your loved ones homes those that you know there is a call for some of you to do this and you need to be prayed up i was speaking to a gentleman yesterday a good friend of mine and he was telling me that you know he didn't he didn't come out on a ride because he was there but not right he was just tired i said well what are you doing you know he says well i was i was in battle I go, okay, I know this gentleman. I know that he's not actually fighting people, but he's in spiritual battle. I said, well, explain it to me. Every Friday, he goes to a mosque of hundreds of thousands of people, and he goes and he preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ to Muslims. And he's preaching to them. He knows the Quran. He knows Muslim the- uh, theology. He-, he knows these things, and he's talking to them about Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to know something. That is not a very safe thing to do sometimes in our culture. It's gotten worse. Yet, here's this gentleman, older than I am, a lot more frail than I am. I mean, however, the strength within his spirit, and he's confronting the, the, the lies with truth. And this is the type of task that some of you may have. But don't take it upon yourself if you don't. Because bad company is going to corrupt good character. You're trying to walk this walk. You're trying to get away from this sin. You're trying to get away from this lifestyle. And James says, you know what? When when you become a friend with the world, you become an enemy of God. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. The person who makes a profession of Christ but makes no effort to break away from this worldly compassions and the sinful habits has reason to doubt. Their salvation. In, in the book of 1 John, chapter 2, John says this, Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. You know, beloved, I, I'm, I'm not saying this to you, but if you're not changing and if you're different, not different, and if you're still the same old person and you say you're a Christian, you're a liar. You're a liar. And that's straight up truth. And the truth, check this out, and the truth is not in you. It's not in you. First John 2.15, he goes on to say, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, guess what? The love of the Father is not in you. If the world has such an attraction to you, if you have such, it has such a hold on you, you want to be in it. Well, when you become a new creation, you should be sensitive to sin. You should hate sin. You should just despise sin. The, the talk, the back talk, the, the gossip, all those things that you know are not right. The ways of God and the ways of the world are not compatible. The idea promoted by some who claim to be evangelicals that a Christian does not have to give up anything or change anything when he becomes a Christian is nothing less than diabolical. It's demonic. Oh, you don't have to change. You're okay. Don't worry about it. God understands. You see, He knows your heart. The Bible says that your heart is wicked and beyond cure. 
God knows my heart. Yeah, he knows it. And it's wicked. But he knows what I want to do. Yeah, but you're not doing it. You're a liar. From the beginning of time, from the beginning of what Jesus Christ did on the planet, John the Baptist, I just read to you a little bit about John the Baptist. He came to proclaim. He was not the light. He said in Matthew chapter 3, verse 2, he says, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repentance is a part of salvation. Repentance doesn't save you. Repentance is the evidence of salvation. Repentance, just because you say, okay, I'm not going to drink anymore. I've repented of that. That doesn't save you. You are saved and therefore you stop those things. You stop the drug use. You stop those things. A lot of people think, well, I'm good. I'm at church. I go to church. Come on. How much more saved can I be? Repenting is an evidence of salvation. Jesus himself in Matthew 4, 17 said the same thing from the time that Jesus began to preach, saying, repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repentance is one, is the evidence of salvation. You no longer act, think, walk that life anymore. The apostles, they did the same thing. Well, let me read this one. In Mark chapter 115, Jesus said the same thing. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Peter said in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And again in chapter 3 of Acts, Repent, repent, repent. There is a change. Repentance means a change of heart, a change of mind, the way you think. And if you, if you look at the, the, the walk of the old self, everything has to do with your mind. The futile thinking, the darkened thinking, the callous thinking, the depraved thinking. You've got to change that mindset. Repentance, metanoia, is to change the way you think. Change it from what? To what you used to be. Change it to what? Well, to a Christ-centered life. This is where we're at. In 2 Corinthians 5.15 in your outlines it says, And he died for all. That those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake, what? Died. Beloved, that, that is such a key part of the gospel message. He died. And, and it always takes us back to the cross, the, the, the suffering. He died for you and was raised. He died. In 1 Corinthians 2.16, it says, For who has understood the mind of the Lord is to instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. Now you have the mind of Christ. The obedient, faithful Christian is the one for whom Christ thinks and acts and loves and feels and serves and lives in every way to please God. That's why Paul said in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, when we went over the book of Galatians, he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. I'm trying to get rid of this world. I don't want this stuff anymore. I don't want to be. I'm not going to say. I'm not going to think. I'm not going to believe anything except for what the Word of God says. I'm focusing my life on Jesus Christ. Because we have the mind of Christ, we have his attitude. Philippians 2.5 says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is in yours, which is, is yours in Christ Jesus. Number two, the walk of the new life. It's God's truth thinking. Where the futile thinking, the pointless thinking, the walking of the new life is Christ thinking. The darkened thinking is God's truth thinking. I know that's not a complete sentence, but help me out. <laughs> Just kind of walk with me here. Verse 21 says, Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. Heard and taught, both verbs of appointing to a point that it happened at one time. You were taught in him. And so therefore you cannot say, well, I was taught in him and this says, hey, I'm done. i am already been taught this. No, that taughtness and that heardness, if you want to put it that way, are being taught that you're saved, hearing that you have been saved. You have come to that fruition as a new believer. Assuming that you have been saved, you have heard about him and were taught in him, refers to the fact that you are now in him. 1 John 5.20 says, And we know that the Son of God has come and has given 
us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true in his son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life so that you may know, so that you may know, so that you may know. John says this over and over 40 times in five chapters in the book of First John, that you may know, that you may know, that you may know the truth that is in Jesus, first of all, is the truth of salvation. We heard this in Ephesians chapter 1. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Paul says, when you heard the word of truth, you heard it, you know it, you understood it. Not only did you hear it audibly, but you heard it spiritually. When your spirit was woken up, He goes on in chapter 2, you were dead in your trespasses, but now you're saved by the grace of God. And when God woke up your spirit, your spirit heard and you were saved. Now because you're saved, the old life is gone. That old man is gone. Walk in the newness of life. Number three, what do we do? Newness thinking. New self-thinking, excuse me. New self-thinking. Paul says, put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires. Many many of us, you know, and I've taught this before myself, and this was my understanding of salvation. Because Paul deals with this in in Romans chapter 7. And in Romans chapter 7, Paul says, you know, what a wretched man I am. You know, I do the things I don't want to do, but the things I don't want to do, I do. And, you know, who's going to save me from this? Why do I do this? Well, Paul makes it very clear. If you look at it just a little bit closer, you start to look at it in such a manner where it says, you know, that he's doing these things, not because of his old nature. And, and we've somehow taken that old nature and this new nature, and we say that we're this Dr. Jekyll and Hyde, this fighting between us, inside of us. And, there's, and, and, and so when we sin and we fall big, well, we blame the devil. Well, the devil made me do it, you know, because I have this old nature in me still. And that's what's causing me to do this. But Paul says, that's not an excuse. That's, that's not the way it works. The reason I sin is because I love my sin. I've got to be saved from this. And this is why Paul is saying that you need to take off, put off your old self. Just get rid of it. Like this coat that you're carrying uh, for, for, for so many years and, and it smells and it's got moth holes in it and it stinks and, and you know, it's falling apart. Get rid of that old thing. And we, we get rid of the coat, but then we have the shirt. Okay, you know, okay, well, get rid of that too. Just get rid of everything. But I, but I like this shirt. It was a gift. It was a gift and I've always had this shirt. Okay, well, you know, after a while, okay, I'll get rid of it. But then I got a t-shirt. <laughs> I ain't getting rid of that one. I love this t-shirt. Nobody can see it. It's underneath. I'm not getting rid of it. You see, beloved, it's got to be all gone. And the problem is that we don't want to get rid of it. And this transforming nature of regeneration, it's new. The Bible talks about being new, being a new creation, to have a new mind, to have a new life, to have everything new. Not something else, but something totally different, transformed. Paul is not telling us to do three different things by saying, put off, be renewed, and put on. We're going to see those in verses 23 and 24. He's not telling you to do this on top of what you're already doing. He's not telling you to be renewed on top of what you're already doing. He's not telling you to put on on top of what you're already doing. No, these are not three different things. These are three infinitives. It is done. These things are done. You are, you are already putting off, taking off all this stuff. You should have done that from the very beginning. You are renewed and you are putting on. Describes the saving truth in Jesus Christ. And they are not imperatives. In other words, something that you have to do. Directing Christians that this is what you have to do. Adding more stress. And here's the problem that a lot of people fall into. Well, I have to go to church. I have to pay my tithes. You know, they don't say an offering or a gift. No, it's a payment. I have to, you know, I have to go visit. I have to bring something for fellowship. I have to, I have to. And it's like you are adding more on you. Well, God has done. Thank you, Mijo. Preach it. Yeah. Amen, he says. 
Do you hear that? Amen, Grandpa. <laughs> and, and what we're doing is we're, we're trying to add because we want to be good. We want to be good Christians. We want to be good people. We want to be, you know, we want people to look at us and say that, okay, well, there's an obedient Christian. But it's not a matter of adding more stuff. This is who you are. Walk this way. Remember, verse 1, walk in the manner of the life that you've been given. Walk in that manner. You see, in contrast to the unregenerated person who continuously resists and rejects God, you know, a person that is not saved, he'll resist and he'll reject. And he'll, "Ah, I don't want to do that. I don't feel like doing it. Beloved, please understand that if you're saved, this is not an option. This is who you are. Either you are or you're not. Bottom line. And, and so what happens is people live in their former manner of life. Now, saying this, Paul is talking to the church in Ephesus. He's talking to believers. And they haven't yet grasped the concept of taking off that old self. Well, I thought I just had to come to church. Well, I thought I had to, you know, but, but, and then you guys remember how we talked about Ephesus last week. You know, I, I like going to the temple over there just in case. I like going, you know, it's, it's, it's fun. Sin is fun. You know, they have, they have all kinds of food. They have all kinds of parties. They have all kinds of orgies. They have all kinds of things that I, I like. My flesh likes it. Well, if you're a friend of the world and you hate God, you got to take all that stuff off. Just to rip it off, rip off that old self and live in the newness of life. See, salvation is a spiritual union with Christ in his death and his resurrection that can also be described as the death of the old self and the resurrection of the new self. I've talked to you about baptism, how you are buried in Christ and you are resurrected in Christ. Your old life goes away and your new life comes up. Not that baptism does that for you. It's a symbol of getting rid of your old self, washing away your old self, and your new self comes up. The old self, the unconverted nature, described as, as, as being corrupted through deceitful desires. That old self... If you continue in it, it's because, well, the deceitful desires that are still in there. The, the old self of the unbeliever is not only corrupt, but it keeps getting more corrupt. It keeps getting corrupted, if that's a word. It keeps getting more and more corrupt. And so, therefore, like I said, it's difficult to get a corrupt, vile, depraved, calloused, darkened, futile thinking mind to change. Plain and simple. The last thing I want to share with you is we need to become the new self. We need to become the new self. Number four. Verses 23 and 24. And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to, be, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. In contrast to the depraved, reprobate mind of the unregenerated person, the Christian is to be renewed continually in the spirit of your mind. In Colossians chapter 3, we're going to get to this chapter, this book in Colossians, and, and we're going to see this, and I'm going to expound on this a little bit more, but I just want you to see this verse right now in verses 9 and 10. Seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Renewed only appears here in the New Testament. Being renewed, made new. Paul was trying to get a point across. Look, here's what you need to do. Not be something else also, but you have to be something different. You're not just this and that. You are now renewed, and you have to live in that renewed of the spirit of your mind. Again, it happens in your mind. It happens in your heart. Now, we know that the heart doesn't have any emotions in it. it all it does, it's, it's a muscle that pumps blood in and out. But for the, for the Jewish person and the, the Greeks, they understood it to be the center of life. They understood it to be the, the center of who you are and everything that you think and do, your spirit, everything was within the heart. Basically, and specifically, the mind. Because that's what actually causes us to move. My hands move like this, and I say these words at the same time because my mind is sending these signals to my body to do those types of things. 
See, so I, I can stop this. I don't have to do anything. I can just stop right here and preach like this all day long. But I don't think that'll be too, you know, not that I want to be entertaining, but I, don't think, I think that'll be a little boring, right? Put my hands down. <laughs> but that's what happens. We don't take off the old self. We don't take off the old garment. And we're not being renewed. You know, and it's clear that such renewal is a consequence of laying aside the old self. You cannot get new and old at the same time. Either you're your old self or you're your new self. And in the context in which one is, you know, we need to put on the new self, salvation relates to the mind, which is the center of thought, understanding, and belief, as well as the motives and actions, as I was saying. The spirit of your mind is explained in such a way that it is something within you. It's intending to show that it is not the sphere of human thinking or human reasoning, but it's something spiritual. A spiritual person, a person with the mind of the spirit, is highly more intelligent than any educator on this planet. Put all these educators that do not have the spirit of the mind or the mind of the spirit. And you, with the word of God, will always, always have more understanding and wisdom than any educator around. This is why I said earlier, I no longer want to, I no longer want to entertain any thoughts of people that say, well, I think, well, I feel, I can care less what you feel. If it's not coming from the word of God, then it, it makes no difference to me. When a person becomes a Christian, what God does is he initially, he renews your mind. And, and I was sharing my testimony this last week, and, and, uh, and I've shared it with you as well. You know, after years of drugs and alcohol that I've done, from one day to the next, God just took it away from me. Committed my life to Christ, and boom. I, you've heard of 12-step programs. I did the one step. It's just one step forward, and that's it. All right, let's go. Then no more steps backwards. I, I don't do sideways or anything else. <laughs> I don't do the two-step. <laughs> just the one step. And that's exactly what happened. After a year of being a Christian, my pastor asked me to come up and give a testimony. Well, share with us what happened in your life. And I did. You know, I didn't know how to give personal testimony, but I just went into the graphics of my old life. And people were going, ugh, <laughs> that's who he is? You know, they didn't know me. And I'm, and I'm just telling them all the stuff that I did. You know, and then Jesus came. I, I, I sensed and I knew that God had saved my life, transformed me and changed me. And I come here to church. And I started telling them about how I started, you know, doing and following what Jesus Christ is telling me and showing me in the Word of God and the transformation that took place in my life. People came up just, wow, Brother Sal. <laughs> uh, yeah, we were going to invite you out to lunch, but, you know, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe not. <laughs> no, no, they didn't say that. One, one gentleman came up. He was a pathologist uh, in the Fresno County, and he, you know, examined bodies and find out what, how they passed away. He, he came up to me, very intelligent, Robert Gonzalez. He came up to me, loved the brother. Uh, I think the last time I saw him, he was like about 102 at that time. And Bodicito, you know, he just, he wasn't, I, I don't know if he's still alive, to be honest with you. But he came up to me, he says, Brother Sal, let me ask you a question. He says, when you went through that trans, transition from your old life to your new life, what type of withdrawals did you go through? Especially with all the stuff that you said you were doing. And I thought about it for a while. I says, well, you know, um, I don't know. I don't think I did go through withdrawals. I couldn't remember. I mean, I'm sure if you're going through withdrawals, you'll know, right? <laughs> you'll know. A year later, I would know. I, yeah, I don't, I don't remember going through withdrawals. You go, well, praise God. So that truly was a miracle. I go, you know, and, and it, from that point forward, I understood that God had transformed my life. From that day forward, I just kept going forward. Now, have I fallen? Of course. Have I messed up? All the time. You know, but I've taken off that old garment, and every once in a while, I just kind of drag it along because I love my sin, you know? And, you know and, I, and, and I have to keep throwing it away. When God changes you, He changes your mind. And your mind is now focused on God. And it's important to come to church and hear the Word of God. Yesterday, somebody asked me, same gentleman, by the way. He asked me, he says, so what do you do as far as teaching the church? You know, do you, what other classes do you have? What are the things that you do? And Because naturally, you're not teaching from the pulpit. And I says, well, no, I disagree. 
You know, the pulpit is the place where I get everybody together. It's hard to get people to come to Bible studies. You know, we'll get some people there. And that's what we teach, the, the in-depth stuff. But, but the pulpit needs to be the place of instruction. The pulpit needs to be the place of understanding what the Word of God says and relaying it to you. And so that you can take that. And for those of you that are watching from home, the same thing is true of you. That, that, that though you may not be here, the instruction that you receive, you ought to take it and apply it to your life. Because it is the Word of God. And when you take God's Word and you apply it to your life, it changes you. And when it changes you, it makes you more into the new creation that God has made you. This renewal is continually happening. You're renewed, you're made new, and now you got to grow. you got to grow, and you got to develop. And you come to church, you hear the Word. And when you go to church, you should hear God's truth, not people's opinions, not 10 ways on how to be celibate or, you know, or, or five ways on, on, on how to stop drinking. I mean, those things are, are okay, but you need to hear God's truth, God's word. The spirit, the renewed spirit of the believer's mind is a result of putting off the old self and putting on the new self. The new self is a new creation made in the very likeness of God. Look what he says, has been created in righteousness and holiness of truth. Your mind, your life, your thinking is now created in the image of God. And you are created in righteousness and holiness. You need to act that way. That's how you're created. Either you are or you aren't. Aren't. You do or you don't. That which was once darkened, ignorant, hardened, callous, sensual, impure, greedy, is now enlightened, learned in the truth, and sensitive to sin, pure, and generous, and focused, and directed, and pointed at God. You see, when you have your mind focused on God, you don't have anything else to think about. When you have your mind focused on what He wants of you, then all those other things, is just it's simple. I hear people say, oh, it's hard, it's difficult. No, it's not. It's because you're thinking on all the worldly stuff. Get rid of that stuff. The new self is new because it has been created in the likeness of God. It's something spiritual, supernatural, literally according to what God is. You're a new creation. In Galatians chapter 2, I mentioned earlier, when Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ, it's no longer I who live, it's not my body, it's not my life, it's not my old nature, it's not my, my old man, my old way of life, but it is Jesus Christ who lives in me. That's a brand new person. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. There it is again. You'll hear this over and over. He died for you, he gave himself up for you, he paid the penalty. He, what he did... That in itself should cause us to, oh, you know, I, I got to hate my sin. I got to hate my sin. If believers have received the divine nature, the life of Christ, the likeness of God, and this new self by an act of divine creation, it is obviously the most important thing that God wants you to be and created in the righteousness and the holiness of the truth. Righteousness and holiness of the truth. We are new. But we're not all completely new as of yet, but we're new. We're going to be glorified and be totally new in heaven, but we're new. We are righteous and holy, but we're not perfectly righteous and holy. There's that tension of the now, but not yet. I'm now this, but not yet. And you'll see a lot of that in the Bible. There's the now, but not yet. Now I'm new, but not yet totally new. Now I'm righteous, but yet not yet totally righteous. Now I'm holy, but you know, I am still in this body. Therefore, the Bible says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. In him, in Christ, means union with Christ. And this is what we become. We are with Christ. We're together with Christ. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Stop doing stuff that the Holy Spirit don't want you to do. Your body is where the Holy Spirit resides. 
Where are you taking that body? Wherever you take that body, whatever you say through that body, whatever you do with that body, the Holy Spirit is right there. Stop doing that. Or maybe you don't have the new nature yet. That's the question that needs to be asked. This is why Paul said in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, and he says, Do not be conformed to this world. One translation puts it like this. Do not let the world press you into its mold, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God. The only way you can know the will of God, the only way that you can know what's going on, is to be transformed. What is good and acceptable and perfect. It's not just, it's a matter of bringing our bodies into obedience to the will of God. That's it. Walking forward. In Romans chapter 6, verse 13, it says, Do not present your members to sin as an instrument for righteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. One of the things that happens to people that are so gung-ho to do bad stuff, when they are regenerated, they're really gung-ho to do the good stuff. Those that live that life, that old life, the walking of the old self, the futile thinking, the darkened thinking, the callous thinking, the debauched thinking, the debrave thinking, all of a sudden that mindset, when it's transformed, it becomes Christ-centered thinking, God's truth thinking, new self thinking, and they become a renewed thinking person. That energy that they used on this end, they turn it around and use it on this end. That's why Paul says, don't present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. The many therefores that are in the Bible, they're going to come up some more, usually introduce an appeal to us to live like new creations. Therefore, because this is what Jesus Christ did for you, therefore, because of what I've taught you, therefore, because of where you've been, this is what you need to be. And the rest of the book is going to be, these are some of the things that you need to do. Stop lying, stop cheating, stop cussing, stop stealing, stop you know doing all these things. Work, everything that you do, do not let the sun go down on your anger. Do not get mad. It does not say do not get mad, but do not sin in your anger. We're going to get mad, but don't sin when you're angry. I mean, these are some of the things that are just very natural to what Paul is going to be talking about. He'll talk to us about how to serve one another. Well, the, the roles of husbands and wife, the roles of children, the roles of, of those that work and those that are, are workers and those that own businesses. And then finally, in chapter 6, he'll tell us on how to put on the spiritual armor of God. That's going to be very cool for the first of the year. These next few things, as a matter of fact, I'm going to save those for January the 1st. This is how we are to walk in the newness of life. For 2022, this is how we are committing ourselves as a church to walk in the newness of life. Are you with me? Are you with me? Let me ask you to stand. Thank you. (laughs) Let me ask you to stand. We're going to pray out right now. I want you to know that um, what we're trying to do this, this, uh, these next few Sundays, at least for December, what we want to do is we want to have a a luncheon and we prepare, my wife prepared something and uh, you you know, this is my favorite. Um, And so um, I pray that you stick around. And I thank you for all the, the great reviews of last week. We're going to try to do this on a, on a weekly basis. Uh, because, well, we have to eat. <laughs> my, my wife has the spiritual gift of cooking. And like I tell people, I have the spiritual gift of eating. <laughs> and so, therefore, <laughs> I want you to stick around. I want to pray for the food. But also, I want to pray for those of you that are still struggling with this old walk. And, 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 and help you to understand that, you know, you can do this. It's already been done, actually. So it's not a matter of anything more that you have to do. Because God, you've taken care of it already. You set your son into the world. And it's not about the presents, the Christmas tree, and the lights. It's not about just the things that are going on in this world as far as uh, the joy of the holiday and the food and the drink and all that. It's, it's the invasion of your life, of you, God, into this planet. 
And we celebrate December 25th as that day, knowing that it's not that day. But we celebrate the fact that you came as was told. You came and you became a man. And because it was promised and foretold that you would come the first time, we are so confident and we stand and we wait with all assurance that you will be back again. And until then, Lord, we want to walk in the newness of life. And I thank you, Father, for this letter to the people in Ephesus and to the surrounding churches that lived in a very difficult time, in a time and in a place that everything was evil around them. And you, you called them to stand their ground. Help us to be those type of people, God, that can do the same thing. So, Father, once again, I just want to thank you for this opportunity to share your word, to grow in your word, to love your word, to apply your word, and to to just continue to grow in your word. I pray for the food that was prepared. I pray, God, that you bless us and bless that food and, and the hands that put it together and for those that are serving and those that are participating. Lord, I just pray that they can continue to just be blessed. And, Father, we just thank you for all things. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone says, amen and amen. All right. Let's head on out. I'll be here for a moment if you'd like to have a word of prayer.